0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the All Angles podcast. The views expressed are those of the speaker and are subject to change at any time. These views are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a recommendation to purchase any security or as an offer of securities or investment advice. No forecast can be guaranteed. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. In today's episode, we are going to take a slightly different approach. We are going to look to close out season one of All Angles by taking a look back at some of the previous episodes and some of the key themes that have emerged for us over that period of time, and also reflect on what was missing or what we should do next as we plan ahead for season two. Remember that you can access All Angles on all of your usual favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and the Apple Store, and we would love to hear from you. So if you have ideas of what we should be tackling in season two, please feel free to email us at allangles@mfs.com. For today's episode, I invited a member of my team, George Beasley, to come on with me to discuss what we think we've learned so far and where we might go in the future. George is a strategist in our in my team, the sustainability strategy team here at MFS. Uh, welcome to All Angles, George. Thanks, Fish. Looking forward to chatting. Great. So, um, like we said, this is going to be a bit more of a kind of informal discussion of kind of what some of the key themes are going forward, Um, I'll start um, and think about, for me, I learned a lot by talking to the various experts at MFS about how they think about sustainability and how they apply it. The first sort of theme that comes to mind for me thinking about it now is the idea of embracing complexity, which was sort of spearheaded by Barnaby in our first conversation.
1: Embrace complexity and related to that, Be comfortable with with uncertainty and and vagueness and nuance because that is the reality of life and and every attempt you make to sort of simplify it and put it compartmentalize it just it reduces your understanding of the world
0: you know one thing that sort of really resonated with me is that none of this is is really very easy, and you really have to dig beneath the surface. To really understand the nuances and the trade offs and the impacts uh, as we seek to navigate through them, uh, that there aren't unfortunately any easy ideas in this space. Did that work for you? Did that come through for you as well? Yeah,
1: I think it certainly did. And in a number of different episodes, and I think even other themes uh, that often relate back to this idea of embracing complexity, which is what makes the field really interesting to work in. Um, But I love the willingness here, uh, and I think we've heard it from all different guests where MFS is very willing to take the time to think deeply about things, whether it's um, embracing the complexity around regulation or reporting. So I think we can be fairly slow to react to some market changes, but I think it's because the firm really wants to do what's right and people are very keen here to do what's right as opposed to what's easy. So uh, embracing complexity, I think we talk about it uh, most days, Vish. It comes up in pretty much everything that we do.
0: Absolutely. All right, George. So i put embracing complexity on the the docket. What would you add um, from the episodes that we've had so far? Uh, I'm
1: gonna go for one of my favorite hobby horses, which you know well, which is uh, the right tool for the right job. So a number of different guests brought this up. I think Mahesh phrased it as um, don't just copy and paste. I wanna re-emphasize that the environmental pillar, the social pillar, the governance pillar, those pillars are the same across these different parts of fixed income. But the factors underlying each of those pillars might not be the same, right? Mm. So when you think about governance for a company, you're thinking about the management team, Mm. the board. When you think about governance for a country, you're thinking about political stability, the administration in power, the strength of institutions, the the rule of law, regulation, et cetera. It's governance, it's the G pillar in both ways, but they're implemented and manifested differently. So given that ESG is this uh, nascent field and often best practice hasn't emerged, it can be tempting to apply a model from maybe another asset class or maybe even another manager. It's really hard to think about these things and takes a long time. A bit like we mentioned before, thinking deeply can take a long time, Um, but Given that there are lots of nuances, we shouldn't just copy and paste and take one thing and apply it to another uh, because the context is often different. So we need to think about, well, for this job, what is the right tool? So a couple of examples I think that Mahesh gave were under engagement. There's the idea of this agency and how it differs between engaging with corporates versus, say, sovereign. So um, an investor might have different goals when engaging with a corporate versus a the sovereign. So with a corporate, it might be to help them manage a material ESG risk or opportunity. Whereas with sovereigns, given that we know that there's limited agency, it might be to instead learn more so that we get a better, clearer idea of how we want to value that
0: security. Yeah, I love that. I think um, one of the phrases that I've definitely stolen from some of our speakers is this idea of the scalpel and the sledgehammer, which gets to how you have to be discerning about what the right tool is for the right approach. Sometimes it is you need a very blunt tool uh, and a really powerful tool. And sometimes you have to be extremely precise. And I, and I carried that through in terms of our communication, our reporting, as well as you know some of the tools and tactics that we've used uh, in the kind of corporate sphere as well. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree. The right tool for the right job. I, I really like that one.
2: I think in um, initially when there is change, government or society has to really mandate change oftentimes with a sledgehammer um, and things have to be worked through. An analogy with the scalpel would be the amount of work we're doing in engagement with companies to understand if if they are relying on natural gas, which you know that frankly they, they have to for some time, that they're also really innovating and advocating and working directly, to look uh, into long-term battery storage, which would be a solution, into utilizing hydrogen for gas turbines for peaking capacity, into carbon sequestration uh, for for natural gas. So there's a whole host of types of work in order to really implement the top-down, but um, the top-down is necessary in order to be a catalyst to, to get the work going.
0: Maybe I'll go again. And so one of the kind of themes that sort of, again, where I felt like I, my position shifted slightly, was on systems thinking. So um, you and I read a lot of books in this space. And and we've definitely, you know, been uh, influenced by people who take a very kind of systems approach and who would advocate that actually more systems, top down systems thinking needs to occur in the finance system, in order to kind of really understand sustainability and some of the forces at play. Um, But I, I really loved how Pooja spoke to how you can think about um, systems thinking from both a top-down and a bottom-up perspective. And it's the marriage of the two, which is where some of the magic really lives in our fundamental process.
3: I think that, yes, systems thinking is important, but you have to understand all the different components in that system. And I think that's where my training as a bottoms-up fundamental analyst really helped me with doing the esg work that i do now i mean these are really big open ended topics and if you're only going to come at it from a systems view you end up amalgam you end up basically amalgamating the views of lots of other researchers and coming up with some sort of consensus view so it's very difficult at a systems level to come up with differentiated research. So instead, my strength was really kind of digging into companies and using what I learned from companies and their experiences, which is what I was familiar with doing, to piece together at a systems level where I thought the system would go.
0: It helped me rethink how we advocate for systems thinking, maybe using more of a kind of bottom-up approach rather than, or or not just using a top-down approach.
1: Mm, Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. And I don't think I've actually heard of that uh, kind of bottoms up application. I think there's also a meta point there around what mental models can we take from other fields and apply them to finance to give us an edge. So whether it's models from ecology, uh, where you might typically find systems thinking or psychology, or even engineering so we talk about this a lot within our team and think about how we can use different models whether it's you know charlie munger invert invert always invert or um what are the different models that that make sense for analyzing different parts of society or the environment or the economy that we can apply to give us a more holistic and complete understanding of things potentially before others are doing the same
0: yeah absolutely and Charlie Munger, obviously, the, the sort of author of thinking of, of investors thinking about mental models to begin with. And then, you know, some of some of the ones that he uses, um, a piece of work, you know, that we we talk about a lot is in sort of behavioral psychology and, and, you know, using some of the learnings and the applications there to think about what will it take to actually move the needle on some of these issues and how will the real economy actually evolve, um, be it on the net zero transition or how it thinks about human rights or inequality. Um, how will that actually take place? So really interesting to think about the power of systems, bottom up, and again, how it applies to various mental models. Um, okay, so, so far, we've got embrace complexity, the right tool for the right job, and systems thinking, uh, both bottom down, bottom up and top down. Um, what else would you add, George? Another major theme
1: for me was... Um what Barnaby brought up, and he phrased it as excessive short-termism. So uh, within, I think investing, but also in business more generally, there is this kind of obsession around quarterly reporting and quarterly results. So uh, that gives us a lot of perverse incentives where instead of doing things for the long-term, which often relate very closely with what's kind of sustainable in the true meaning of the word, um, companies are forced or or incentivized to take action in a way that actually just maximizes short-term value. So a couple of different examples that I was thinking about were it might just be chasing short-term quarterly financial performance. So a board, for example, might choose to uh, focus on a risky business operation Um, So I think we can all think of examples right now, I'm not going to name any names, but within the banking industry, where uh, there's kind of questionable governance there in uh, arguably being managed in, I think, potentially reckless ways, so as that they can continue to meet quarterly expectations of, uh, of earnings reports. But it's not just in... The chasing the financials. I think we're starting to see it in ESG metrics as well. So we might see, for example, a portfolio manager divest from heavy emitters because what they're trying to do is green their portfolio uh, and they're doing that on the back of um, enthusiasm for ESG and funds that perform favorably versus others. But relating this back to the idea of uh, embracing complexity, some of those heavy emitters may be key in the transition to a low carbon economy. And importantly, the portfolio is still at risk of the systemic risk of climate change, right? If you're just divesting your heavy emitters and not actually doing anything to try and help them manage the transition to a low carbon economy, your clean portfolio is still going to be at risk of those systemic risks. So I think there's lots of different manifestations that short-termism can have, but those are a couple that stood out for me.
0: I think short-termism and long-termism could definitely be a theme that we pick it up next season. I mean, I've often thought about this and end up chasing my tail and if you or any of our listeners feel differently, but it's I think an argument could be made that you know, actually the sustainability or ESG investing is a symptom not a cause and the root cause really is kind of pervasive short-termism that is leading to sort of these unsustainable sort of outcomes over, over the medium to to long term which we're now sort of manifesting themselves. Um, which is really interesting. I, I think it, it also gets to a lot of what we talk and think about in the realm of sustainability or ESG investing is really the fact that this lives in intangible aspects and facets of investing that are really, really hard to quantify short term and actually can manifest themselves in very erratic and episodic ways that are, that are hard to measure sort of point to point. And so um, because of all of that, and again, you touched on the complexity, I, I agree with you that the short-termism is only likely to exacerbate some of the problems and some of the agency issues, the principal agent issues that you pointed out, um, and not just in our investee companies, but all the way, I think, along the value chain uh, within the uh, investment system. I'll maybe add one more, which, or maybe I'll combine two. Uh, and, and there was something that Pilar um, talked about, which um, I, I really appreciated, which was the this idea of the whole being more than the sum of its parts.
3: Connectivity is hugely important and being able to bring um, knowledge from other areas to whatever the discussion is at hand is really important because frankly, I think what, I guess what I would say is that two plus two can be five. And for two plus two to be five, you need to bring more than just the expert knowledge um, to the table. And so a lot of the investment world focuses on specialization going narrower and narrower in their, that field and, and sustainability is the same, right? You end up talking very complex level of detailed um, analysis on, on sort of whether, you know, you're looking at carbon emissions or you're looking at exactly how to measure uh, scope three um, or, you know, again, sort of, you know, evolution of the board, etc. When sometimes actually just being able to take a step back and putting the pieces together, pattern recognition, assessing examples that you've lived through in other areas, other industries, and how they could apply to that specific company or that specific investment actually brings a lot of value. So, for mm-hmm. me, what I think is different, and when you think about sustainability as well, is being able to have that holistic approach. And the holistic approach comes from connectivity and being able to draw from other areas and having that more generalist view rather than. You know, the, the, I guess what's common uh, you know, expectation is that that very deep expertise is really going to drive um, the alpha uh, and the uh, sustainability approach. So I would take the other side. I think that sort of having that general perspective, having the connectivity, being able to draw from different areas uh, of knowledge brings a lot to the table and you can get two plus two equals five.
0: Given the complexity, given the nuance, given the fact that um, this is likely to this subject is likely to prey on some of our sort of worst kind of unconscious biases or um, behavioral traps, Um, the power of the team and the power of the collective can really help us get to a much better outcome than any one kind of very, very smart individual can. Um, And what that really requires then is for you to have kind of collective expertise for you to have a team uh, of people that can challenge your thinking. And what it also requires the kind of part B of that is to sort of not be too dogmatic about sort of how you believe this to be. I'm a huge believer. I think I must have said this in multiple episodes that I think best practice in the whole field of sustainable investing is is yet to fully emerge. It's sort of being built under our feet uh, as we speak. And so what it means is that we can absolutely have conviction, but I think that we have to hold that conviction fairly loosely and be open to challenge and debate and sort of robust evidence providing best. Or approaches or better ways for us to do that, we shouldn't close ourselves off to those things. So I think about those two things and, and how we can facilitate that not only within sort of our organization, but how we sort of advocate for that more broadly is sort of the the value of this kind of collective wisdom, the collective expertise, um, but also not, not falling down and being too dogmatic about, about certain things of ways that we can approach them today, given what we know, given we know how much there is to come and how much is yet to emerge in terms of how we're actually going to address some of these systemic issues.
1: Yeah, I think both of those are key points the, uh, that you raised there in relation to kind of teams, but I really like the work that the Thinking Ahead Institute did around super teams. So one of the, one, just to build on your point, one of the additional um, layers is DE&I, right? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think for fields of knowledge work, it's incredibly important. So you need really smart people, Uh, who have different views and you need that culture where people feel like they can offer a different view up. And it's really difficult to do in reality, right? I think a lot of us talk about this idea of a very open and meritocratic culture where the best idea wins. Um, But it's it's I think it's difficult to do in reality, but so important in order to make sure that we're not stuck in our eco chamber and that we're really sourcing the best ideas. And we're not just being dogmatic, relating it back to your last point.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, Cass Sunstein wrote a book called Wiser. There's a there's few other books been written on how to avoid kind of groupthink. So, you know, we 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 talk about this quite a bit. I think Michael Mabusin also, I, I stole a line from his work on this, which is actually what we want is really high cognitive diversity uh, and really low values diversity that often requires a footnote or explanation. So I think what he means by that, or what I interpret he means by that is, there's a kind of core set of kind of ethics, i.e., you know, in this team, we believe in putting our clients first. We believe in kind of long-term fundamental investing. We believe in um, the way in which, you know, we approach kind of core problems and what our kind of mission is. And we want very, very low diversity on that. We, we probably don't want someone in the team that puts clients last, for example. Um, but actually what we do want is high cognitive diversity. So we're dealing with problems that are unlikely to have a very, very simple and singular solution, uh, often oftentimes, it, as to your point in the knowledge economy. And therefore we want people in the team who will solve problems in different ways and and bring different mental models to bear. And therefore as a collective, we're, we're better off from it. So I think that's that idea of how do you facilitate and nurture a team that has high cognitive diversity, but low values diversity i.e. Is, is ultimately after the same goal, but can solve problems differently and can work together and, and be a better, um, be be a better unit for it um is is incredibly important um as well as the super team work that you mentioned from the the sort of thinking ahead institute and the importance of culture to sort of facilitate all of those things
1: yeah I i think on a personal note i definitely experienced it so um how we we used to work together um back in our investment consulting days and then i left the field of investment and went and did the startup thing for a while and uh, in, still related to sustainability, but then ended up coming back uh, in this role in, the, um, in our sustainability team. And it's, I think it's really proof in the pudding that I, what could have been seen as a kind of gap in the CV from serious investment work was actually, I think, probably actually helpful in landing me the role. So um, given that the, it's such a different culture, you use different tools, you have to assemble the team in a completely different way you make decisions very quickly in this in a startup you act very quickly and it's a very iterative cycle and i think some of those things are completely the opposite with how finance does things in general right because it's an industry where um you're managing people's money you have to be very thoughtful you can't just move fast and break stuff but there are definitely some lessons i think that we can use and we can apply so i think uh, that's definitely helped me bring some things to the team that perhaps i wouldn't have encountered if i'd have stayed in the in the world of finance
0: yeah super interesting actually so actually given that i want to ask you sort of what you think we missed in season one so far so it's not been that many episodes and we've definitely got you know really good feedback by good feedback i mean some really positive and some kind of um kind of critical of you know did we go far enough did we go deep enough on some of the issues did we expand upon um some of those things. Um, I also have got feedback that we're sort of too technical uh, and too too in the weeds on some of those things. So you're never going to please any everybody. But um something you said there sort of sparked a thought. What do you think we missed and what should we maybe focus on for next season?
1: Well I think picking up on that same point that having some outside voices on who maybe are outside of the MFS eco chamber might be useful. um, Whilst we try to be very thoughtful, engage with all of the literature and be as critical as we can about our opinions. There is something very useful about getting um, people on who are outside of the four walls of the company that you work at who have different contexts as well. I think um, that something that we talk a little bit about is how we'll meet with clients who might actually kind of get what we're saying, but then there are end beneficiaries or there's other things within their context that mean that they can't actually uh, act in a way, even though they might think that, you know, it's 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 the right thing to do. So I think getting some other, maybe not dissenting opinions, but just people from different backgrounds might be very useful, and that can really help us uh, stress test our assumptions. How about
0: you, Vish? And, uh, no, I agree. I think, you know, if we're saying that one of the things, or at least two of the things that we learned so far is embrace different mental models as well as complexity, um, and not be too dogmatic about our own views. I think definitely bringing on people, even those that will be contrarian and challenge, those views will be really interesting to do, to tease out what we know is kind of emerging best practice. I I totally agree. So let's definitely do that. Let's bring some outside experts and some people taking maybe even different approaches um, to the platform and and talk to them and and understand sort of the the process that they're going through. I think on, maybe on embracing complexity and thinking about systems thinking more bottom up, um, I do wonder if we could go deeper on some of the sectors and to really kind of unpack some of that complexity. Um, So I don't know what you think, but I I would love to hear more. You know, I think we sort of um, deliberately kind of took quite a holistic view and maybe kind of scratched the surface on, on portfolio construction type considerations. Um, The next step for us, just given even how MFS are built on this global research platform that is sort of designed into different sector teams to develop deep, nuanced, context-specific experience and expertise on on those companies, um, it would be really cool, I think, to hear from them on how they're seeing the application differ uh, to really tease out some of that complexity.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that would be really valuable. That's one of the things that I like the most about podcasts as a format, right? It's not a quick uh, three-minute bite on something that's very complex. Uh, You are able to go into the detail and uh, appreciate the context and the minutiae. So uh, I think that would be really valuable and to you you can find quite a lot of high level information on this kind of stuff, whether whether it's philosophical debates on engagement versus exclusion or ratings. But I think uh, digging really deep into how this might apply at the sector level is is really fruitful and something that's, um, I think, quite difficult to find.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, one more thing. Anything else that you think was a sort of blind spot for us in season 1?
1: I don't I don't think so. Um I think you you mentioned well we talked before about getting some kind of outside voices. I think the discussion format is one that's really interesting and I think a good discussion is incredibly valuable with two experts because one thing that you'll find is if, uh, if there's kind of a host or somebody who just has one view, but you don't get the rebuttal from another expert, it can be really difficult as a layperson or as an educated audience member to really know whether they're telling you the whole truth or kind of cherry picking. So I think other than that, I think that would be what I'd be really excited to to listen to.
0: Yeah, I agree. And maybe just to stretch that a little bit is um, if I think about the power of teams or, you know, I'm a big believer actually in, in the power of sort of peer mentoring or peer learning. I think a lot of the time we learn from those like us. And so maybe as well as outside experts and people like us taking different approaches, maybe it would be helpful to have sort of asset owners, consultants, NGOs, others across the kind of value chain, even companies on talking about sort of the different approaches that they're taking, because I think you know our, our audience base is, is broad uh, and maybe uh, there's something to be learned there by sort of shared challenges or how they've overcome some of those challenges. Could be really powerful as well
1: yeah absolutely have that humility to say let's actually ask other people in the value chain what are the difficulties that you're facing and what is the context that we need to appreciate as investment managers
0: yeah i totally agree all of us are beholden to other stakeholders all of whom care about this issue one way or the other um you know i know it's been sort of politically divisive in some regions more than others but either way you care about this issue and what approach people are taking um And so I think that's really powerful. Okay, so maybe just to wrap up then. So if I think about what I've got in front of me as as highlights from sort of season one, we've got the idea of embracing complexity, um, making sure we pick the right tool for the right job, how we apply that to systems thinking, both top-down and bottom-up. Thinking about sort of short-termism, which I think is a kind of recurring theme that we could also address in, in season two. Uh, And then sort of the power of the collective to help overcome the nuance, complexity, contextual analysis that you need to do as well as help keep some of our uh, our biases in check. And um, for next season, uh, in the absence of um, feedback from our listeners, uh, so again, please uh, email us if you would like to hear something different. But maybe getting some more outside experts and, and people from outside of MFS talking about the different approaches that they're taking going deeper on some of the sector-based pathways uh, and the complexity therein of applying this in real time. And as part of hearing those outside experts maybe along the value chain and for our audience to hear from their peers on how they're overcoming some of their challenges. Thanks, George, for joining me on this shorter and quicker version of the All Angles podcast been great to have you on.
1: Thanks Vish and uh, yeah just a quick thank you to say thanks very much for hosting season one. I've certainly learned a lot and it's been a fascinating journey so uh, looking forward to season two.
0: And thank you everyone in the audience for listening and again we would welcome any of your input or thoughts uh, as we look ahead to season two.